0: Welcome to The Sandbox. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Dave. And today we'll be talking more with our friends from Nine Beats. But before we get too far into that, we've got just a couple of quick reminders for you.
0: Yeah. So first up, our next live event is going to be May 7th with author and professor Drew G.I. Hart. He'll talk with us about his new book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism.
1: We will live stream these events, so you can join us live in Rochester, Minnesota at Studio 324, or you can watch from wherever you are in the world. Be sure to make plans to join us. Absolutely.
0: Don't forget to tune in. And also, don't miss our next episode with author and activist Shane Claiborne. Shane has a profound way of inviting conversation around challenging topics, and we'll talk with him a bit about his newest book, Executing Grace, how the death penalty killed Jesus and why it's killing us. You won't want to miss it.
1: But for now, we're excited to share the second half of our conversation with our friends from the Nine Beats Collective. This is a group of artists, poets, musicians from four continents who gather to create songs and art exploring the ancient wisdom known as the Beatitudes. Today we'll hear a bit from Matt Valor and Mark Scandrett, and we'll hear a few more samples of the music from the album. With that, welcome to episode 39, Nine Beats, part two.
0: So that was a quick sample of a track called Nine Beats to the Bar from the upcoming Nine Beats album. As we get started with today's conversation, we'll talk with our friend Matt Valor, who wrote some of the lyrics to the Nine Beats album. Here's some of what Matt had to say about working on the project. All right, so we're sitting down with uh, Matt Valor, who was also uh, part of the Nine Beats project. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got connected with the project?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Matt. I'm the founder and director of something called Alchemy, which is a Social business that experiments with stories to create change. Uh, but I also have a background in biblical studies, so uh, I got involved with the Nine Beats. Um, I was asked to write a reflection on how I might we might reread the story of the Beatitudes uh, a different way, uh, and how that might be a bit more um, deep and relevant in our contemporary uh, our contemporary life. So that's what I got involved in, and, and kind of part of the a uh, group that was then developing uh, some of the thinking around that and uh, uh, working around the album uh, yes yeah, so it's been it's been really interesting to be part of cool.
0: so uh, so what exactly was your role in in this project what kind of like hands on work did you do
2: um so i wrote a piece um called blessed are the undead uh, an invocation for ghosts uh, and really um I, i'm fascinated by the political context of the Gospels. Hmm. Uh, and I find that often that's left out when a lot of people read the Bible. Uh, and so the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's this kind of iconic speech by Jesus that's, uh, that's very famous. Um, even people that aren't particularly religious, have often heard of the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes and this, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. Uh, But it's all very, to me, it's all very sort of 19th century England. It's kind of Victorian paternalism, (laughs) are blessed are those poor people and blessed are the people that help the poor people. Uh, But actually, the context that Jesus is in is this kind of political melting pot of roman occupation of the jewish temple establishment trying to assert their religious identity in the face of this roman occupation you've got people collaborating with rome you've got counterinsurgency who are trying to throw the romans off out of the land and into all that mix uh, jesus is speaking uh, and so when he's up mm-hmm. this mountain and he's saying things like uh, blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the merciful that word blessed uh, it, the Greek is, um, is Makarios, uh, and it kind of gets translated blessed or sometimes even happy. Um, but in, in Greek mythology, uh, Makarios is like you're blessed, you're Makarios if you have loads of money, you have loads of power, you have the life of the gods Mm. And so, when Jesus is saying the blessed people are those who are starved of justice, or the blessed people are those uh, who are mourning, uh, lamenting about life, um, he's not just kind of flipping up the world and saying, "Oh, it could be a topsy-turvy world." He's actually, he's actually saying the things that you thought were blessed are in fact cursed, and it's the cursed life. It's the non makarios life of, of the Greek world, there's actually the thing that's blessed. And so to me, that's like an invocation. It's like invoking this cursed existence, the poor in spirit, the, the frustrated, the ones who've been discriminated against. It's invoking those people uh, and that experience in the face of the power of all the people that have the makarios, the blessed life according to the gods. Um, So that was the basis of of, of this piece I wrote called Blessed are the Undead, An Invocation for Ghosts, because it's this idea. I think Jesus is is kind of calling out the ghosts of those who've been oppressed. Uh, Hmm. And I'm fascinated by zombies because I think um, uh, (laughs) we make fun of zombies. You know, they kind of in popular culture, zombies are kind of, you know, wandering around aimlessly, no real focus um you kind of laugh at them but really it's i mean that's like uh it's like hogwarts third year defense against the dark arts 101 right you let the bogger <laughs> out of the, box. They do the thing you most fear and the best the way you deal with that is you turn it into something ridiculous Uh, And actually zombies have this very deep, long history in all kinds of cultures around the world, ancient cultures. And the reason is because it's the thing we fear the most. The idea that if something couldn't be killed, that if it came, if it advanced on you, you couldn't end. Even if you even if you went to the extreme and shot it in the head, that wouldn't stop it. That's the most terrifying idea. Hmm. Uh, And so this idea of invoking the undead. Uh, invoking that um, life—that's the the anti Macarius life—as uh, saying this, it's coming, uh, it's coming, and it's going to haunt you, mm. uh, and you better watch out because those ghosts aren't going to die. Uh, the, that
0: yeah, because there's, uh, there's there's like there's no stopping it. It's coming.
2: Exactly. There's yeah. no stopping it, and that's a, it's a terrifying mm. idea, genuinely terrifying for the powers. Uh, and I think you know. In, uh, in the context you guys have in the U.S. at the moment, like, you know, the Macarios life that like Donald Trump is a is a kind of perfect example of the Greek uh, mm-hmm. Makarios mm-hmm. figure, you know, wealthy, born into wealth, successful, enjoys power. It's the life of the gods. And there are lots of people like that who are celebrated uh, in our cultures and this idea that there's an invocation of those who've been shut away excluded pushed out trampled down and this whisper that they are coming uh, and <laughs> you can't ignore them uh, because they 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 will not die their claim for justice cannot be silenced no matter what you do is a is a terrifying but also very powerful and liberating idea i think
0: it's especially terrifying if you're uh, if you've kind of bought into the the myth of this the, this way of being blessed, it's coming and you can't escape it. And, and I think for all of us, if we're paying attention, it probably critiques our way of, of living and our way of seeing our interaction with the world around us. Uh, that can be pretty frightening. Yeah,
2: sure. I, I, totally. And I think that we're all living with this tension of, you know, wanting to be more just, wanting to be more honest and truthful, wanting equality, and yet at the same time... Um, really trying to make things better for ourselves valuing the things that we own uh valuing our status and wanting more of it and we're just in a constant wrestle over that uh and i think this idea that there are ghosts that haunt us in that um is quite a powerful it's quite a powerful and productive idea for us to think through
1: and that's maybe precisely why uh we fear the political context of the Gospels in general, but maybe the Sermon on the Mount specifically. This understanding that um, that you can't stop it, and and if you've got if you got the political power, you want to keep the political power, and and crush those who who stand against you. But there's no stopping the the spirit. There's no stopping the undead.
2: Yeah, and I like it because it doesn't. Um, I have. To, I feel like I have a very personal. ambiguous relationship with it because it's great to say I can't stop it but at the same time it's something that is a a threat to me and my own position in life Uh, and so it's, it's kind of invigorating and intoxicating because all of the ways that I want the powerful of the world not to have so much control to kind of invoke this spirit gives me a kind of power against that and yet i'm also then i'm challenged by all the people could, could quite legitimately invoke that spirit against me for the ways in which uh i benefit unjustly by the virtue of my privilege uh and you know just simply where i was born in the world and uh the color of my skin my gender and so on and that um it's a two, it's a double edged sword right. for me, and that I I feel like I have that relationship with the gospels that on the one hand I I want to endorse it, and on the on the other hand, as soon as I endorse it, I feel like it it, it cuts into me mm-hmm. uh, and my own experience of life, and uh, that's why it's such a such a, a powerful, challenging thing for me.
1: It's it's so hard to endorse it and uh, not domesticate it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we all want to domesticate everything yeah. because it makes life easier for us and. That's just a very normal human thing, but um, yeah, there are, there are other people in the world who need uh, our level of power. I mean, I say this as a, you know, as a straight, white, middle-class man.
3: Mm-hmm. There are
2: other people who need my power, uh, and at some point I have to have a bit less power in order for that to happen simple as, as far as I'm concerned. So that's a real, you know, there's no easy way through that
1: one. Maybe that's, to me, why one of the compelling things about the Nine Beats uh, collective, this project, is it really is people from all, all over the world, from different walks of life. And it does give different insights into this thing. And still, it's it's never going to be a complete uh, understanding of it, because, you, you know, there's more than just a handful of people, um, obviously, in the world. But just to to have this global perspective on this ancient wisdom.
2: Yeah. And and that's been great. And, you know, I've met incredible people through this project and, uh, you know, finding that kind of wisdom and the different perspectives and the, um, the the kind of ability to see differently that you get when you encounter someone who comes from a totally different perspective to you, a different life Mm. experience is very powerful.
0: As you've been working on this project, what's, one of the maybe more interesting things that you've learned because of that kind of cross-cultural experience.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think people from different cultures ha- have a different ex- set of expectations about what power looks like, uh, and you know, because the because these nine beats are so much about inverting normal power relationships. I think seeing the different ways that people uh, bring different um, sets of cultural expectations to that, has uh, been quite illuminating. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting because I think some of us um, have this need to to want to try and open up uh, questions um, to, to kind of rail against the system, uh, say something's broken uh, and other people come with quite a, a deep need to work out how to fix it, to, to provide mm. an alternative to tread a new path and that's quite an interesting uh, an interesting kind of ten- creative tension within a mm. project like this, mm-hmm. You know, if you only tear down, you never build up uh, then you don't get anywhere, if you build up too quickly and you don't properly understand what's wrong with the thing you're working with, you, you don't really get to a proper new solution. so that's that's been a really interesting mm-hmm. creative point for me
0: I, I guess I'm just wondering if you've got some of the uh, some of the text that because you wrote the text, right? Did I understand that correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah, so I, I wrote a, a like a long article um sort of exploring this from a biblical studies perspective, but I did a retranslation of the Beatitudes as an invocation because I felt like the common translation that people know. Is a good translation of the words, but there's no. It doesn't invite you into the context particularly. Uh, and so I felt like if you if you if you sort of swim around in there, you need the uh, you need a retranslation, mm-hmm. like an invocation. And so that was the. So I, I took the form of the here here come the depressed here come the grieving, uh, and that that was the the form it took. So it's this invocation that they're coming, mm-hmm. they're coming, uh, and there's a promise. There's a kind of promise with that. So it has this structure of, here they come. So here come the depressed. They own the future. Here come the grieving. They will be comforted. Here come the enslaved. They will have the whole earth. Here come the ones who are starved of justice. They will be filled. Here come the gracious. They will be shown grace. Here come the uncorrupted. They will see God. Here come the peacemakers. They will be protected. Here come the oppressed. They own the future. Here you come. You oppressed. You wrongly accused. Take heart. They did this to your heroes whose ghosts will not die. And Heather Lynn took uh, took those lyrics and has worked that into uh, one of the songs that will be on the album, which is wonderful because I love Heather Lynn's music and, She's just a genuinely wonderful human being. So that was great to collaborate on that.
0: Well, I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you feel like we should know that's either uh, maybe loosely even connected to, <laughs> to Nine <laughs> Beats. Uh, yeah, what, are you, what else are you thinking that we should, that we should know about?
2: It's a good question. I just finished a book that um, I would say is probably the most significant book I've read in the last decade. Uh, and I read quite a lot. Uh, It's called Who Will Roll Away the Stone by a guy called Ched Myers, who's uh, based out just north of Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, And he wrote a commentary called Binding the Strongman back in the 80s and then followed up with this book, Who Will Roll Away the Stone? And it's this unbelievably uh, deep weaving of a kind of autobiographical account of his own life as a peace activist and biblical scholar um, in this incredible global city that he is from and that he's lived in his whole life, uh, and how he's worked the narrative of Mark's gospel into his own attempt. Uh, I mean, he doesn't frame it quite like this, but I would, uh, to, to, to essentially make this invocation, uh, and to, um, just assert that a different world, uh, is reality, uh, and that the the world of global consumer capitalism and political power plays and the ways that it oppresses people uh, is a world that is passing away, and it's it's just an astonishingly um, deep and thorough exploration of issues of um, prejudice, discrimination. Uh, uh, how that happens structurally, how that happens at a personal level, uh, what steps we take, it's kind of it, it, it's it's absolutely an incredible book. so I would really recommend that mm-hmm. uh, for people that are interested from a biblical perspective in working out how how to take a political reading of the gospels and then work out how that actually works out, um particularly in a north American culture uh, it, Who will roll away the stone by Ched Myers can't recommend anything else higher i don't think
1: well thank you so much yeah
0: thanks yeah, for this joining is... us it's great to talk with you a little bit
2: yeah, yeah. loved it thanks and you know i hope to connect again
0: absolutely yeah
2: all right take care guys
4: Here come the depressed They own the future Here come the grieving They will be comforted Here come the enslaved They will have the whole earth Here come the ones Who are starved of just as they will be filled Blessed are the undead Blessed are the undead Blessed are those you see as cursed They are blessed Here come the gracious They will be shown grace Here come the uncorrupted They will see God Here come the peacemakers Here come the oppressed who are on. this till you're here
1: The song that you just heard was Blessed Are the Undead from singer-songwriter Heather Lynn, with lyrics by Matt Valor. Now this is just one of the tracks from the upcoming Nine Beats album. As we continue this episode, we'll talk with our friend Mark Scandrett. We caught up with Mark while we were in San Francisco. He is working with Nine Beats to come up with some creative ways and practices of living
3: into the wisdom of the Beatitudes. I've gotten involved in a Um, really interesting project called Nine Beats. Um, There's a Bible society called Life Words that's based in London. And uh, their kind of mandate is, can we come up with relevant ways to make scripture available in culture? And um, we start talking about a year, a a year year and a half ago, and um, and they were suggesting to me, hey, you know, the Beatitudes have the potential to be a v- sort of vocabulary for faith in the 21st century. Um, and I was interested in the project because I, I remember a few years ago, after after writing my first book, Soul Graffiti, um, a Zen Buddhist priest contacted me. And he's like, hey, I, I, I was a Christian in high school, but I just like all that stuff about that my Jewish friend was going to hell and Mm. I couldn't handle it. So my spiritual longings went East. And, um, and, but he said, when I, when I sit Zazen, I feel, feel like Jesus is still calling to me. Can we get together and talk about that? Mm. And so we began, um, a really rich friendship. And, um, I remember one of the first times we got together, we got some, tea and walked around this neighborhood and i'd say well can you give me like a kind of the gist of of um of the zen way Mm. and um he said well there's the four noble truths and he listed them off and the eightfold path um so it was sort of a way of seeing and a way of practice and i got to thinking um I don't know that we have a well-articulated way of talking about the way of Jesus. Maybe the, mm-hmm. a simple way of describing what what the way of Jesus is that's, that's memorable. Maybe the closest thing is something like um, the four spiritual laws, or which, which is really more about how to become a Christian mm-hmm. than what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of sparked me to say, "Could is is there is there language we could have that helps us to remind ourselves and express to others what is the journey that we're on hmm. as followers of the way of hmm. Jesus?" And so I started looking at the Beatitudes and thought that this really could be, you know, a way of describing this the, how, how to live life with God you know a, a life where you acknowledge your poverty and learn to live in trust and and interdependence a, a kind of life where we don't run from the pain and struggle but we mourn and and wait for for comfort and for change you know a life where instead of being insecure about who we are and clamoring for for role and position we can we can acknowledge the dignity of all people and live with with humility and and on mm-hmm. and on, you see mm-hmm. um, so we've been we've been working on this project for the last year or so. One of the parts of it was getting together a group of musicians and try and get them cooking a bit on the on the potential of the beatitudes and um, i've developed a small group curriculum uh, called the Ninefold Path uh-huh. uh, that gr- communities and churches could use to walk through the beatitudes. And then take a step of practice with each of them, um, and yeah, I really hope I really yeah. hope this can become mm. kind of yeah. a way, a new way of talking about the, the Jesus way that's totally rooted in Scripture.
1: Yeah, I mean the Beatitudes are so so powerful and i've seen them used in the middle east uh specifically in palestine israel yeah uh for for dialogue and 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 for peace work there awesome. uh, among different you know so it, and obviously for thousands of years christians have been accessing it and now maybe now as important a time as ever and i'm wondering how you know you've, you've collected musicians together and you've got other people talking and you're putting curriculum together yeah. What's the next step with this? I mean, how do you continue to get this out there and help people rediscover this this powerful piece?
3: There's going to be an album that comes out. We're also starting. We're gonna we're working on ways of kind of helping young people, youth, explore the beatitudes and some tools. Some of it's just language; like it needs a little bit of explanation, (laughs) right? Right. Mm -hmm. And and a little bit of setup. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of treating the beatitudes in two ways. One is, there's one message where, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount Mm -hmm. where Jesus is sort of saying, there's a whole new way to be human. Like, you could reimagine what life is about. And um, the outsiders, er, there's a place for everybody in this. And so that's one aspect of it. And then the other would be, um, I'm kind of looking at it, realizing maybe in the Beatitudes, Jesus, is pointing to some categories that get kind of played out more in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount about what it means to be one of his disciples. Mm. You learn to love your enemy and you learn to stop worrying Mm. and live in trust and things like that. But I've I've started using it. um, the Beatitudes as kind of a daily reflection for me. It's been really powerful for me to have a daily way of remembering. Oh, yeah, this is this is the path that I'm invited into. And every time I look at it, I'm, you know, you think about, for instance, um, Jesus say, saying, "Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth." And he lived this meekness. He he got down and with a towel and basin and washed his disciples' feet. He mm-hmm. said, "The greatest among you will be your, your servant." And that totally cuts across. Most of my, you know, t- tendencies and it remind like on a daily basis reminds me, oh yeah, like s- ser- servant humility, not clamoring for position and privilege, right? Yeah. That, that, that this is the way that I'm called into. And it, it's had a way of kind of, you know, tweaking my heart and kind of keeping me a bit more open by having that before me to remind me blessed are the pure in heart. So it's not just what I do. It's doing, doing the right thing for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so there's one who knows me intimately, who knows why I do what I do. And I could learn to live with a lot more honesty Mm -hmm. (laughs) and authenticity. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's the Jesus way.
0: We've really enjoyed our time learning about the Nine Beats Project and hearing some of the inspiration for it. As we end our conversation today, we invite you to listen in to this song from Heather Lynn, What Can Love Create? and consider how looking at the Beatitudes in a new way might inspire us to create something beautiful together.
4: You're trust in me Flowers into promise inside But feel so intimate to hear my
1: I once heard friend of the program and Sandbox guest, Pete Rollins, talk about art, saying your favorite work of art isn't something you look at once and never look at again, like a billboard or postcard or something like that. Pete said, your favorite work of art is something you go back to again and again and again, not because it doesn't speak to you, but because it speaks to you in so many different ways. Every time you see that piece of art, it will say something new to you because you bring something new to it. You wrestle, you you fight, you're transformed by it. To me, that's some of what the Nine Beats Collective is all about, inviting us to go back again and again to these nine ancient verses, the Beatitudes, to wrestle with them, to fight with them, to be transformed by them. These nine beats nine verses. They can open something up about what it means to be human, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but ultimately how to put it into practice. We can be affirmed by these nine verses. We can be challenged by these nine verses, but ultimately as we wrestle and we fight with them, perhaps we might experience transformation. Maybe this album, the work of these artists, poets, theologians and musicians, might introduce you to something that is simultaneously ancient and fresh. It might ground you in a new practice around words that are thousands of years old and unlock energy and insight into the pattern and life that Jesus was inviting us into all along. Thanks for listening to this episode
0: of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. We had a great time meeting some of the people involved with the Nine Beats Project, and we can't wait to hear the whole album when it's out this spring.
1: Don't forget that on our next episode, we'll be speaking with author and activist Shane Claiborne. Don't miss it. Also, a quick reminder that on May 7th, Drew G.I. Hart will be the guest of our next Sandbox Live event, and we'll talk about his new book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism.
0: For that and other things going on in The Sandbox, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
1: And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it. There is always more room in The Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye.
2: Please watch your step as you exit The Sandbox.